Hi, this is Michael Dorn, Lieutenant Commander Worf from Next Generation and Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hailing frequencies open, you've tapped in to Trek FM's Hyper Channel. I'm Luke Weir, and we've got a lot of great stuff coming up here on today's episode, including the latest from NASA and SpaceX about their ambitious plans regarding Mars. And later on, we have a great interview with Manu and Tereme, and you'll definitely want to stay tuned here for that. But first, let's talk about the latest Star Trek soundtrack release. The Star Trek Enterprise Collection Volume 2 is the second collection of original music from the Enterprise television series. It features scores by Dennis McCarthy, Kevin Kiner, Jay Chataway, and so many more. This four-disc limited-run collector set is available now from La La Land Records, and you can check out all of the tracks that are going to be on that four-disc set in a link that we'll have here in the show notes. Uh, They also have a Voyager collection coming out soon. You can expect to see that one in January or February of next year. Remastered episodes of Star Trek The Animated Series are currently only available in the 50th Anniversary Blu-ray box set, but we now know when you'll be able to buy The Animated Series on its own. The expected street date is November 15th in North America and November 28th in the UK. This will be a three-disc set that also comes with 22 Juan Ortiz art cards, and that's one card for each episode. There won't be any new featurettes on this Blu-ray set, but all of the features that came with the 2006 DVD release will also also come on this Blu-ray set. Fans who play Star Trek Online will want to check out an infographic released by Cryptic, that's the studio behind the MMORPG. The graphic details where the events of Star Trek Online take place within the Star Trek universe. So if you tend to geek out about the Star Trek timeline like I do, you'll probably find this pretty interesting. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. Last week, a committee in the United States Senate passed a bipartisan bill which authorized NASA to use $19.5 billion to fund a mission to Mars. The bill was passed now in order to ensure that the new president elected in November couldn't put NASA's operating budget in jeopardy. Now, the bill was only passed by members of the Commerce, Science, and Transportation Committee, so it still has to be voted on by the Senate as a whole, but it is expected to pass. In addition to funding a mission to Mars, which, according to the terms of the bill, must take place in the next 25 years. This $19.5 billion will also go towards the continued use of private jets to resupply the International Space Station. SpaceX has much more ambitious plans related to Mars, though. Founder Elon Musk announced at an event this week that SpaceX has plans to build a self-sustaining city on Mars. He expects that the first astronauts will reach Mars within the next decade, and he thinks that his vision of a full-fledged city on Mars can be achieved within the next century. The rocket fleet that does this would have to cross some major milestones. Uh, The rockets would have to be fully reusable. They would have to be able to refuel in orbit, and they would have to be refilled with fuel produced on Mars, and the ideal propellant still needs to be determined. Musk thinks that Mars's atmosphere would make the production of methane fuel possible. Of course, this ambitious plan raises a lot of questions, including how settlers on Mars will sustain themselves while waiting for the new arrivals, and we're also left wondering how this whole project will be paid for. Uh, Musk says that it would be, quote, a huge public-private partnership, end quote and he recognizes that the per-person cost of traveling to Mars will have to be reduced significantly before it will be feasible. Elon Musk also pointed out during his presentation that once a city has been established on Mars, this will open the door to traveling from Mars to other planets in our solar system. The plans are very ambitious, but only time will tell if they ultimately turn out to be feasible. 
Next up, we have a special guest joining us here on Hyper Channel. This is pretty exciting. It's my first interview here on the Trek FM network. I got the chance to talk to Manu Entereme about a lot of things, including his upcoming appearance at Classic Comic Con in California and his upcoming anthology film project called The Circuit. Plus, he shared some stories about his fellow Star Trek actors and about his role as Echeb on Star Trek Voyager. All right, today on Hyper Channel, we are talking to Manu Entireme. He has got some really exciting projects coming up. Going to be talking about an appearance he has coming up here at the Classic Comic Con coming up this weekend. Hello, Manu. Hey, Luke. How are you guys? I am doing great. How are you today? I'm good, man. I'm good. Uh, overworked uh, and really? underpaid. <laughs> I've heard that is the life of an actor. <laughs> yeah, that is the life of an actor. Although occasionally, it's the opposite, uh, that you're just incredibly overpaid and underworked. Sure. But they flip and they flop. It's sort of a roller coaster. I'm having a whole lot of fun, though. That's that's all that counts. That's great. Uh, what have you been working on uh, recently? Any uh, projects you're just wrapping up here? Uh, so many things, man. Uh, Fifth Passenger was a project that I launched with my friends Morgan Lariah and Scott Baker, the director, uh, a couple years ago, um, and we are finishing the rough cut. We we originally raised a thousand, hundred thousand dollars on Indiegogo, and wow, that's we great! Did this this space thriller with uh, Armin Shimmerman, Doug Jones from Hellboy, um, Marina Sirtis, myself, Tim Russ, and Morgan Loria, and a few other uh, fantastic actors and actresses or actors, if uh, you want to be politically correct. Um, and we just got to see the rough cut and that's a really nervous time. You know, it's, it's your whole movie's on the line. We ended up raising a hundred thousand dollars, but then the movie cost more like a half a million. Um, we had to match funds and do a bunch of crazy things to get it done. But, it's a beautiful film and it looks like a multi-million dollar film and it was just a real neat rush to see when you watch a rough cut and it's watchable. Um, I don't know anybody out there that, that if you guys make films, but when you're trying to make a film, especially when it's CG and you've got CG and sound design and color correction and all these things that you have to fix before you release it to the public, it's usually pretty hard to watch. It's hard to sit through a, a two-hour film that's in pieces and the, the temp graphics. And sometimes there's a, a temp card that just says Spaceship Explodes Here, you know. <laughs> um, but it's fantastic. And just watching the rough cut was uh, a joy. And usually when you have percent of the time in my career so far, I'm really proud of what we made, and I think uh, people will be uh, pretty blown away by what, we, by what we were able to accomplish. And it comes out early next year, um, and that's exciting. It's called Fifth Passenger. And a bunch of other things have uh, finished and, and are on their way out right now. A film called Unbelievable with a bunch of Trek actors in it. This comedy uh, premiered a few weeks ago in L.A. A film called Promises is making its way around the country, and a film that I produced called Benjamin Troubles just came out, uh, is actually premiering at the Los Angeles Galactic International, uh, Los Angeles Galactic Film Festival uh, next month, actually November. So. 
Wow, that's fantastic. Yes, you've got a lot, uh, a lot of stuff coming out here that people can see you in. Now, um, I did want to go back and um, sort of establish, just in case someone listening here may not be familiar with uh, with your work, they've probably seen you on uh, Star Trek Voyager as Echeb. Uh, you were on Voyager in the sixth and uh, seventh season, I believe. So, um, I, and I really liked uh, your character on Voyager. I thought he was a really great addition to the crew. Um, and I don't know, do you want to share a little bit about how you, um, how you got that gig? Yeah, I really loved playing each uh, in, in all his incarnations, actually, it's been a quite a journey. How many years now? 16 or something since that show finished. Um, there's not much of a story to how I got the part besides my agent got me the audition and then I was really excited to get a chance to be on Star Trek. I was a big fan of the movies. I loved the original series and the next-gen films. I wasn't a a huge fan of the show at the time, but I was a fan of Star Trek. Uh, And so I went in very serious and and really focused. Uh, I even starched my clothes and was very Borg-like. And um, it took, it took four auditions and it, uh, it, First, you had to audition for the director, I mean, for the casting director, then it was casting director, director, then it was casting director and a producer, and then it was casting director, producer, and uh, Brandon Braga and Rick Berman and probably a couple of the other network uh, suits over at Paramount. And, um, I mean, my my agent, there's a weird story that my agent got me the audition from a casting director named Ron Serma who actually gave me my first part in Hollywood in a little movie called Senseless with Marlon Wayans and David Spade. And I was so terrible in that film that <laughs> that it got back to Ron Serma that I was awful, that they had to shoot me 30 times. and I almost quit acting. And then two years later, Ron and my agent were sitting in a nail salon getting a pedicure. And my agent pitched Ron on me for Echeb, or it wasn't Echeb at the time, it was just a, a character, a Borg character uh, named Second. Um, and that was another weird thing about playing Echeb is he sort of, I don't really know how he came about. It's always been sort of a secret and that I've been sort of hacking away at for the last 15 years of, did they know that that character was going to become Echeb? did they have a plan for that he was going to be on the next two seasons? Did my acting have anything to do with it? Did the writers just decide to keep him on board when, you know, how far ahead of star Trek do they write? That show is incredible, right? 25 or 26 episodes a year. Yeah. They were pumping out. That is an incredible amount of content to write and shoot. So my guess is that it sort of just evolved. Um, they got the Borg kids off the cube. Then the writers were stuck with five Borg children on board. What are they going to do with these five children? How can you write for five kids when you already have a kid on board? Sure. Yeah. The kids were, the kids were like, it, all all that we really did was like, we'd have a scene and I would be a brat and be like, no, I don't want to do that. And I'd run off. And I sort of thought we were just going to, I was going to sort of play this bratty kid. But then they decided somewhere along the line to find a home for the other children and go with the oldest actor they had at the time. And 
I was pl- probably playing 17 or 18, but I, th- I was 21 at the time. So I think they just went, hey, let's see if this kid can handle an episode. And they wrote an episode around each end. But this could all be just in my mind. Um, and then that episode called Child's Play, where Ichab gets sent home to his parents, and his parents have not only sent him to the Borg as a baby with a virus in his bloodstream to kill them uh, and sacrifice his, himself, they get him back and then they do it to him again uh, to protect their planet from this Borg conduit that's really close to the their planet. And that episode did some good ratings and people liked it. And I think that's sort of when each stuck and they decided to keep him on board for the last couple seasons and keep writing for him was, I remember when I was shooting that episode, Brandon Braga came down to set like four or five days into shooting it and shook my hand and gave me a look and said, Hey, you're doing some great work. And I, I knew kind of at that moment that maybe I was sticking around for a while. That's great. <laughs> That's great. So at at the beginning, how many episodes were you committed to? It never committed to more than one. They really? Okay. Me, yeah, on an episode to episode basis, and they were really tricky. They were really tricky about that too. Like I don't hold anything. I have nothing but uh, love and thankfulness for Star Trek coming into my life. But they were they were really tricky about how they did that. Almost every time, if you go back and look, there was an Echeb episode. I almost die, or Echeb almost <laughs> dies. So every time they gave me a good episode that was like based around Echeb, or the B story was based around Echeb, it would always look like they were going to kill him off. And so I would read the script, and I would be going, "Oh God, they're going to kill me off. This is my last episode." And then at the end, I would live, and I'd be like, "Yes, still on the ship." So they did that to me like eight times, and um, by the time the eleventh episode that I did was over. Uh, the show was over, and, and that was, you know, sort of two two years time. During your time on Voyager, was there a particular, um, I don't know, was there a particular person you enjoyed working with the most, or was there a particular um, thing in your daily routine that you really enjoyed uh, filming on Voyager? Man, I, this was two years of my life in my early 20s where I had to get up early in the morning and go make believe on a spaceship all day long <laughs> for lots of money. Yeah. It was awesome. I mean, it was awesome. I mean, I, I, you can't, I mean, anybody that bitches about, oh, it was long hours and we worked so hard. It was a, it was a dream. That was a dream cast. The, they were kind actors. They were gracious. They were giving. I was young. I was the new kid on, on, on ship. And, I was sort of wide-eyed and just bushy-tailed and like, wow, this is fantastic. And nobody gave me a hard time for being the new cast member. Uh, I remember Robert Ricardo, uh, maybe four or five episodes in, pulling me aside and he gave me a compliment that has sort of resonated with me till this day. He, he said, uh, hey, kid, you've got some talent, you know, you – Every once in a while, one of you guys comes along and sticks around for a while and wakes the rest of us up. And I was just like floored by that. You know, I, I knew who he was and was a fan of his work before I got the part. And 
you know, the, a, an actor that you admire gives you a compliment like that at that young age. I, I was, I just soaked it all in. And I, I, I don't have any regrets about the time I spent there because I knew that it was a gift and I took, I stole every little bit of acting technique that I could from all those great actors. Uh, Kate Mulgrew has all these fantastic things that she does with the camera, pre-take and post-take, and I stole all her stuff and, <laughs> and, and all Picardo's technique. And I really just took it as an opportunity to become a better actor and to play a good role and, and, and soak up as much as I could learn. And, and then since then, you know, it's been then like no other show in the world until recently, but at the time, this was uh, 2001, uh, the Star Trek convention circuit was not really a multi-convention uh, Comic-Con type of thing. So for there was like five or six years there that it was like sci-fi cons or Star Trek cons. But there wasn't this huge conglomerate that it's become where there's vampires and, and zombies and werewolves and fantasy and comic books. And, you know, it's... Comic-Con has blown up in the last 15 years. Um, and so I've got to enjoy that whole scene too and going around the world and meeting different cultures and the fan bases of those cultures and getting to see my my character speak in all these different languages and different voices. And it's been a ride. It's been fantastic. You said pick a favorite moment. but If, I, if I you can, know. yeah. Yeah, that's really hard. I mean, that... that um, you know, uh, for lack of a better choice, Jerry Ryan, because I worked with her all the time and she was beautiful and she was funny and she was gorgeous. And I was 21 and uh, what a better person to work on a spaceship with uh, for those two years. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, and, and also just a class act. I, I it was like being at camp. I just, I, I had a great time working on that show and, and then, you know, even Renegades uh, was has been a, a lot of fun. You know, the, the reincarnation of Ichab and Renegades, they they took a, a much darker look at him uh, in Star Trek Renegades and in just Renegades. Um, very blessed to have been able to, to do that because I got to work with some of the other cast, uh, Terry Farrell and uh, got to got to know Walter Koenig pretty well during those couple of films and love him to death. Uh, put him on my new project, the circuit, uh, have been working with him, uh, sort of buddy, buddy for these last, this last year, trying to get this new project off the ground. And it's, I was actually in Hawaii maybe a week ago. Uh, and Michelle Nichols was sitting on my right. Walter Koenig was sitting on my left. Uh, Jonathan Frakes was one more down. Rod Roddenberry was on the end. And we were doing this panel for all these joyful, loving people that had come from around the world to talk about what Trek meant. If you're sitting next to Michelle Nichols and you're looking into those eyes, that iconic woman, that amazing figure, and Walt, funny 80-year-old Walter Koenig on my left, I was beaming. You know, 15 years later, I still know how blessed I am to be a part of this whole thing. So it's not which one of the cast. I mean, I've got to meet all of the cast in the last 20 years. Um, can't pick a favorite there, you know, too many cool people. 
That's great. All right. So, yeah, you've been mentioning some, mentioning some conventions, and we'll definitely want to talk about uh, some upcoming uh, convention projects you have here in the near future. But uh, before we move on, whenever someone works on uh, science fiction, I uh, there's always typically uh, prosthetics or some sort of crazy makeup involved. And I always want to ask them how long they had to uh, go to makeup every morning to get ready for the show. So you had a bit of a prosthetic above your nose. So how long did that take to apply every day? Well, not only the little prosthetic makeup on, on each end was not that bad. It was 45 minutes, maybe 15 minutes in hair. And I'm also like a white boy, freckled-faced Irishman. I've got a lot of freckles, and they toned. They spent maybe 15 or 20 minutes toning down my freckles and making me more fresh-faced. Oh, okay. But it, you know, it was an hour maybe. Um, but before he became each end, he was a Borg. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he wasn't fully assimilated, so they had to come up with a new body suit. They, they, could, they couldn't use old stuff or new or uh, any designs that they'd already had because they had to show a Borg that had only been half-finished uh, but was still living. And it was sort of a really interesting process because I put up a big fuss because I'm, I'm sort of a pain in the ass to work with when it, when it, uh, in anything, honestly, because I want everything that I do to be great. And sometimes you just get a job on something and I'm a pain in the ass all the time. It doesn't matter if it's a good thing or bad thing. <laughs> but that, yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I, I, I like, I make little fusses out of everything. And, uh, I give people a hard time on Star Trek. They, Bob Blackman, who designed the, 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 the Borg suit for me to wear, uh, for second to wear, he decided that if we were going to be 50% assimilated, that a lot of our flesh, or our regular human body should show. And he designed this suit that, like, literally, I was 21. I wasn't, like, built. I wasn't, like, a, a, a macho actor. I was very skinny and young. My left leg, like, I was pretty much Borg everywhere, except my left leg, my left skinny white leg. <laughs> and, I, and it was like all the way up to my groin, really. And I just thought that I, like everywhere I looked super badass and I loved it. it and then he just left that white leg sticking out. And so I, I wouldn't, I like, I put up a fuss, I, I flipped out and I was like, I can't do this. I feel really super cool, but I can't do this because I've got this dorky white leg. Like, well, what is this? And, I even like like Brandon Braga and Rick Berman. Like I almost got fired, I think probably on the first day because they had to come down from this their offices and look at me because I wouldn't go on camera. I was like, I won't do this. Uh, and Brandon took one look at me and he was like, Yeah, I don't know if I'd want to do it either, but you know, we hired you, so do it. <laughs> 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 and I. I, I, you know, I, I was like, well, can I at least put on a pantyhose? And that was the, the, the sort of the whole uh, deal was then they, then they decided to put a pantyhose on the leg and then put a couple of small Borg appliances on the pantyhose and then spray like the Borg veiny type of skin uh, around that. So I thought that looked a lot more cool, and that, but that that must have taken up like four hours of the day, me fighting the costume people. So yeah, the Borg outfit, the Borg outfit was like four and a half hours every day, but it was really wow. Work. Yeah, it was. I would get there at maybe three forty-five, four in the morning, and then oh, man. that call would be 
eight or nine. And, uh, but that was interesting too, because unlike Ethan Phillips, who had to wear that God awful, like head appliance and teeth appliance and eye appliance for seven years every day, I had to do it for two weeks. So it was fun, you know? Sure. Yeah. Uh, and, and they had, it was really neat. Like the way that they did the Borg, I had a bald cap on except some of my hair sh- sh- shone through because he was half assimilated and they took all those. That's what was so neat. That's what I think's neat about Star Trek in general is it has so many neat, they, they take the details seriously in the construction of the ships and how the ships work and, and how the ships look on the inside. Uh, even the ships, even the parts of the ship that you don't see, they have all these people thinking about that and working on that and designing that and the makeup was really neat too the 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 borg hair they would put glue on top of my appliance on top of my head and then they would have me hold on to these two electrodes that were so i was charged with a certain amount of electricity running through my body nothing to zap you or anything but enough that i could feel my hair stand on end my arm hair etc and then they would shoot these little particles of hair out of this little like hair gun, makeup gun. And when the hair hit the glue on my head, it would stand straight up and like neat things like that. So getting into makeup wow. was sort of an experience. And then they would also airbrush you down while they were doing all this stuff. So you'd be holding the two electrodes while they're airbrushing you. And I remember just closing my eyes and thinking like, this is kind of what it would feel like to get assimilated. You're getting, you're getting changed. Yeah. Um, I just, you know, I had fun with it. Uh, the only thing that was weird was walking around in all that stuff was strange because things would fall off. There was also a lot of electrical hooked up little blinky lights and, they would have a couple people follow you everywhere for continuity so that if you've lost a piece of your outfit, they, they would catch it. And so you, you always had a couple people walking around with you watching you really closely. <laughs> a little strange, but yeah. Now, okay. I have to ask, cause we hear all the time or well, not all the time we hear um, whenever Jerry Ryan talks about her outfit, uh, we hear a lot about how getting out of it to go to the bathroom was just such an ordeal. When you were in that Borg suit, was that a bit of an ordeal to get out of too for a bathroom break? Yeah. I mean, that was the weirdest part is, is going, uh, <laughs> going because <laughs> those two people would walk in there with you. Yeah, to make sure that you you know kept all your parts when you walked out. Um, it was it was a little tricky to get in and out of. Um, luckily, uh, I'll be a little politically uh, correct. Remember that leg went all the way up to my groin, so it was sure, yeah, uh, things accomplished. But it, it was definitely you know it wasn't fun. I, sure. I went. I even remember also being a little embarrassed because I was still young, twenty or twenty twenty years old when I got that part. Um, twenty one, maybe. Well, it's been great to talk to you about uh, Voyager here, but I want to move on here to the present. You've got some really exciting projects coming up. Uh, first thing I wanted to talk about is a uh, convention you're going to be appearing at this weekend. It's the uh, Classic Comic Con, and um, you're going to be uh, heading up a panel there. Is that right? Yeah, it's um. I'm super excited to come out there. I, I know they've been doing that show for a couple of years now, and um, I, I'm stoked. The guy that, that runs the show uh, is 
super kind and has been really cool about uh, promoting my project and bringing me out there to talk to the fans. And I'm going to go out there and just barf my new movie on everybody for two days <laughs> until they're completely sick of sick of hearing about me um, and the, the, the new project. But the new project is, a, is all about a movie for the fans and by the fans and it's super cool. So I think they'll enjoy it. Um, uh, but there's a bunch of great actors coming out. Richard Hatch is coming out there. That they're having the whole Battlestar Galactica almost reunion of a lot of the original cast with uh, a guy that I did a convention with like 12 years ago. And that's what's fun about the whole convention circuit too. Is there's there's it, it, you see old friends and you you meet people, famous people that you haven't that you, you would never get a chance to meet. And then you end up seeing them again and you can build friendships and, and uh, Dirk Benedict is coming out there who to me in my generation was face from the A-team. I loved face from the A-team, right? No, he was, he was yeah, he was face. Sorry. Um, and uh, you know, super cool to see him again. I saw him maybe the first convention that I ever did. I was with Dirk Benedict in Germany all the way back in like 2002, 2003. And uh, I'll reunite with him to 2016. Um, it's a sort of six degrees of separation and fun. And uh, they've got a bunch of great guests out there. So we should have a good time. Sure. Yeah. It sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, you mentioned Richard Hatch earlier. I was just checking the website and unfortunately, uh, Richard Hatch will not be able to make it due to a medical emergency. So I wanted to let our listeners know about that. But uh, still a lot of guests, a lot of really fun guests are going to be out there at uh, Classic Comic Con. Now, um, can you tell me when your uh, Q&A is going to be? I don't know, actually. I never okay. know those things. I I think it's, it's probably on the Saturday or the Sunday. Uh, I know that. Um, but the time, I think I have two Q and A's. Oh, really? Okay. With conventions, I always, always show up and they, they hand you the schedule and you know that your photo ops are, and you got a little schedule that you can carry around with you or, um, either that or they spoil you and they give you a, uh, an aid that tells you where and when you're supposed to be everywhere. Um, so I don't normally look, uh, beforehand or I, w I would be able to tell you. Alrighty, so it sounds like you'll just have to show up and uh, fly by the seat of your pants there. But that's going to be at the McHenry Event Center in uh, Modesto. And so uh, you're planning on being there both days, is that right? Yeah, I'll be there Saturday and Sunday. I know Friday night there's also a, a mixer uh, where everybody's just hanging out, having fun, playing games, uh, having drinks, having some food uh, Friday evening. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to get in in time for that, but the rest of the weekend will be there and they'll have the schedule up and the, um, all the different fun events and, uh, Q and A's and panels and games rooms and, uh, all the other amazing, uh, fun things they have at conventions. Um, I always show up to a convention and fly by the seat of my pants or at least grab <laughs> the, the, you know, grab the the program and look at what I want to do and what I want to see while I'm there. And if it doesn't conflict with what I'm doing, then I go check it out. This last show I did, there's a couple of astronauts there and a couple of particle physicists and just, uh, to me, like amazing. Like, I don't know how they get these people to show up and, and talk. And, you know, that's, there's always really, you know, treats like that, unexpected treats for, um, people that have a varied and varied, 
varied interests. Sure. That was really neat in Hawaii to have those guys, uh, you know, super intelligent NASA particle physicists and uh, guys that were looking uh, and, dis- you know, discovering new planets and, and how they were figuring out what was on those planets and what were, that they were made up of. And, fascinating sure it sounds it sounds really fascinating so that's uh, so this weekend classic comic-con 2016 and we'll be sure to link in the show notes to uh, where, you, where you guys can find out more about uh, classic comic-con now while you're there you're going to be talking about an upcoming project that you're working on that is currently uh looking for funding on kickstarter why don't you go ahead and tell us about your uh, new project yeah uh the project is called the circuit as in the convention circuit and I basically put together a bunch of my favorite directors and writers and actors. And the I've been going to the convention uh, circuit or on the convention scene for 15 years or so now. And I've collected so many surreal stories from the actors behind the scenes of things that fans don't get to see that, that happen behind the curtain that are pretty fantastic, phenomenal stories. But I wanted to make a movie. I've wanted to make a movie about it since I started going to these things. But I wanted to do a twist on. I was about to make a film very similar to Con Man. Con Man. It was going to be called Con Men, and it was about the promoters behind the scenes. Um, and then a few of the actors also were going to play a part in it. But then uh, two years ago, while I was getting that film together, a little more, a little less than two years ago. Um, uh, Alan Tiddick and Nathan Fillion came out with comment. And so the circuit, I went, okay, well, I, if I'm going to do a movie about the convention scene for the 50th anniversary of the convention scene, I don't know if people know this, but in 1966, the first time that uh, Gene showed his pilot in the New Jersey small science fiction convention is sort of responsible for the, the blossoming of the convention scene itself. So I wanted to make a movie on the 50th anniversary of what we do, which is gather together to celebrate the genres we love and celebrate that at conventions. I wanted to make a movie that not only showed you the stories that happen behind the scenes at conventions, but also celebrated the genres that we love. So I gathered all these different actors from fantasy sci-fi icons to the stars of today's television and film. We've got guys like, we've got a bunch of Trek actors, uh, Terry Farrell, Tim Russ, Walter Koenig, Armin Shimmerman, Robert Beltran, um, Robert Picardo, Ethan Phillips. Uh, but then we got actors from other fantasy stuff like Game of Thrones. We've got Milto Scaramello. We've got um, Sylvester McCoy, who played Radagast the Brown in The Hobbit. Um, um, and he was also Doctor Who, the seventh Doctor Who, one of the most beloved Doctor Who's, and Olivia Diabo from Wonder Years, and she's done like 150 episodes of television, and Conan, and just basically it's Rob Archer and Cody St. New from Teen Wolf, and my cast just goes on and on, but I wanted to get the who's who of, of basically the, the genres that we celebrate, sci-fi, fantasy, horror, comic book superhero, and then mix in some comedy and drama and then sprinkle in a little bit of truth. So like, I'm a big fan of the classic anthology films and anthology TV shows. I love the twilight zone. I love Steven Spielberg's amazing stories. I don't think that enough anthology 
series or films come out because they're difficult to make and they're difficult to write. Um, so the search is nine different stories that all take place over the weekend of one giant fictional pop culture convention and nine different genres. So each story is a different genre, but all of the stories edges touch a little bit and sneak through each other. In and the way that the film came about is me and a bunch of uh, James Bird and Tim Russ and Prince Bogdasari and Scott Baker, myself, Olivia Dopp, got a bunch of my favorite writers from Hollywood to write five episodes of the circuit. And then when I was in Germany, we had pretty much half of the screenplay finished. I was in Germany last year at a convention and I was on stage and I was looking out at the crowd and sometimes at conventions, they do a closing ceremonies and all the actors were on the stage and all of my stories were from the actor's perspective. It was always an actor going on some sort of crazy journey uh, in his particular genre. And I saw all the fans in the crowd were clapping and I started making eye contact with all the people in the crowd. And I'd had, I'd shared stories about these people's lives and what they'd done at conventions and what they'd done with their lives. And I started making eye contact with all the people that I'd had a great time with that weekend and had a human experience with that was interesting. Um, and I went, Oh my God, I'm missing half of what the, the convention scene is. You know, it's not just, about the actors and what we do it's about the fans they're the ones who created this thing right so i had to get five stories from the fans perspective or at least five stories written by the fans and so we opened a writing competition on the circuit film website if you go to www.thecircuitfilm.com you can and we've only picked we've only picked two screenplays so far we like a few others, but we've only picked two that are that have gotten into the movie so far. Um, and you can submit your story for it to be a part of this anthology. And if you get your story picked, you get to come to set. If you can write a one to twenty page screenplay, or you can write a short story, one to twenty pages. And if we like a short story, then we'll bring you on and we'll have our writers adapt it with you, and you'll get to be a part of the movie. And not only that, and this is the tricky thing with Kickstarter, is I have to get the message out to the fans through shows like yours, and thank you so much, by the way, because Kickstarter won't let us say what we want to say, which is that if everybody that donates to this project, the, what I wanted, I wanted two things to come of the circuit. One, I wanted to say that we'd made the most fan collaborative, celebrity professional anthology ever made. Um, like nothing like it has ever been done before. So I wanted stories written by the fans, but directed and acted out by professional actors and writers and directors and crew. Um, so if you support the circuit at any donation from $5 to 10,000, whatever perk you decide you want to support the cause, you then immediately, if you want to be involved in the film, go write me Monuente Reme at thecircuitfilm.com. You can find that address on the website. You can also write any of the addresses on the website, info at thecircuitfilm.com. doesn't matter. But write me, Monumente Reme, at thecircuitfilm.com, and just write me a letter and tell me why you like making movies. 
why you want to make movies. Maybe you build props. Maybe you are into wardrobe. Maybe you're into makeup. Maybe you're into art department, building sets and ships. And, um, and you want to be involved. Tell me why and how. And for every segment of the film that we fund through Kickstarter, we're going to bring on one person from the supporting base to come in and collaborate and work on the film for every key department of the, of the movie. Wow. That is really neat. Yeah, that is, that is really neat. I don't know if there's ever been something quite like this that collaborates between the production and the fans. I don't think it's ever happened. I think two things. I don't think there's ever been a multi-genre anthology film. And I've sort of shopped it around Hollywood a little bit. We've got a great cast, but we've got an idea that scares the crap out of the studios because it's never happened. <laughs> sure, they, yeah. The anthology films are, are like, they usually stick to one genre. It's either like a bunch of horror stories or it's a bunch of romance stories of like Paris Chatem or New York stories. Or um, Then there's the couple of films that, that dance around being an anthology film like Sin City or Pulp Fiction where like there's, there's multiple stories going on in there, but the, the edges brush, but still they're one genre. Um, Sin City is a, a gritty, hard comic book crime drama. We're going to have nine different genres uh, touch each other in, in strange little ways. And what has to be right about that film is the writing. It's got to be great. So we've taken a whole lot of time to write our scripts. We've given the fans a whole like eight months to get their submissions in. They still have until November 23rd to get your submissions in. And we're going to pick the final three stories and we're going to loop the story that sort of ties them all together in a really smart way. And um, hopefully if we fund this, through Kickstarter, we're going to start shooting. All right. Sounds really exciting. So you said November 23rd was the deadline for the script submissions, correct? Yeah. And okay. the, the deadline to, to donate to Kickstarter is October 31st. All right. Halloween. All righty. So looking at $200,000, that's the goal for the first episode. And they'll need to hit that goal in order to receive that funding on Kickstarter. So if you're interested in that project, you'll definitely want to go, uh, you'll definitely want to go support them on Kickstarter. And we'll post a link to that in uh, the show notes. We'll also post a link to um, the, uh, the circuit site. And also we'll make sure that you can find out how to get tickets for Classic Comic Con. So um, again, Classic Comic Con coming up here this weekend, October 4th first and second and um is there anything else we want to uh, cover here today manu yeah i mean i want to tell the people that are interested in the circuit i sort of it's sort of like a dare at this point it's like if you're if you're one of those people and like me that sits around and is like why doesn't hollywood give us anything new the studios just keep regurgitating the same old stuff and giving us the same things over and over and over again i mean I can't believe they remade Ben-Hur. I mean, give me a break. Um, <laughs> like, what's, what's going on? I spent a hundred million dollars on a, on like the, a perfect film that like quit it. Um, this is a new genre. This is a new concept. And it's a film that's a collaborative film by the fans, professionals and celebrities teaming up, doing something awesome. It's sort of like Twilight Zone meets Galaxy Quest meets uh, that Ben Affleck and um, Matt Damon show, what's like the green project green light. Um, 
And I think it would, it would just be a huge uh, dream come true for not only me, but all the actors involved. And I would love it to, to start a movement and, and make a new show, make a new film anthology series that just kicked butt that we all made together. I think it would be a statement uh, to the, the sci-fi family that we always talk about being. And uh, I hope that it, it, it happens. And uh, I hope people just know that that's important. And let's tell our story. The 50th anniversary, right, of the pop culture phenomenon and of Star Trek. We can't wait till we're 100 to make a movie about it. So let's do it. Yeah, you sound really ambitious, and I'm really excited to see this project pan out. So thanks so much for joining us here today. Uh, if people want to find you online, uh, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me directly. Very easy. I'm easy to track down if you can figure out how to say and or spell my name. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, I'm at Manu Ente Reine, uh pretty much everywhere at Twitter and Facebook. Uh, I have a Facebook fan page that's at ManuenteRayme123. And I would also encourage people, what we did with the circuit Kickstarter campaign is we had a ball these last eight months shooting little funny teasers that we're releasing about biweekly um, that just are fun and they're a blast. And even if you don't donate, go watch the campaign. You can go to at the circuit movie on Facebook, at the circuit movie on Twitter, at the circuit movie on YouTube, pretty much any relevant social media we're up there at the circuit movie or you can go to the website thecircuitfilm.com and, and watch the trailers and teasers they're hilarious they're a lot of fun and if you like them share them that's the way you can support the project without pledging um but if you have five bucks we could use it absolutely and i do have to highly recommend those shorts those are really fun those again you can find those on the website or on uh, any of the social media that manu just listed all right manu and Reme, thank you so much for joining us here on hyper channel today thanks for having me man this was fun yeah it was great to talk to you yeah you too man And that's a wrap on this very special episode of Hyper Channel. Be sure to subscribe to Hyper Channel on iTunes or your preferred podcast provider. You can also subscribe to the Trek FM Master Feed, where you can get all of the shows on the network in one convenient feed. Keep up with me on Instagram and Twitter at CraptasticLuke. That's like Fantastic Luke, but with a crap instead of a fan. Add me on Facebook, too. Just search for Luke Weir. You can follow Trek FM on Twitter and Facebook. You should also join Trek FM's Facebook group, The Babel Conference. It's a secret group that's just for Trek FM members, and we have some great Star Trek discussion on there. You can support the Trek FM network on Patreon. Go to p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash Trek FM and check out the various levels of support you can choose from. You can even become an associate producer on one or more of the shows in the Trek FM network. Don't forget, you can check out all of the articles I sourced for today's episode in the show notes. I'm Luke Weir. We'll be back soon with another episode of Hyper Channel. So go ahead and do a quick intro here for us, and we'll go ahead and get started. All right, we are talking here today with Maru Ensime, or nope, nope, already got it wrong. Okay, let's try that again. Ensereme, Ensereme, okay. All right, we got this. Manu Ensereme, okay, I will get it at some point here.